New Horizon has been serving the church in Northern Ireland since 1989, and we're delighted to bring you this talk today. We trust you will be blessed through this ministry. What does peace look like today? What does it look like in our lives? What does it look like in our homes? What does peace look like in this land? What does it look like for our parents who tell the stories of their parents and their stories? And what will it look like for our children as we tell them our stories and they tell the story that goes on after that? What does peace look like tonight for the brokenhearted mother? What does peace look like here in Northern Ireland or in the United Kingdom for the soldier? What does peace look like? What does it feel like in Ballymurphy and in Anderson'stown, in Rathcool and in Ballybean? What does peace look like on the Shankill and on the Falls? And in this centenary year, of the establishment of Northern Ireland. What does peace look like for the next 100 years? Over the next five nights, I and my colleague and friend, Amy, are going to try and help you navigate this journey of peace. How we seek it, how we make it, and how we share it. And tonight, you heard from the farewell discourse, a passage that records the words of Jesus to his friends and disciples on the night that he was arrested and probably one of the most difficult nights of their lives. When everything around them was in chaos, Jesus said to them in John chapter 14, verse 27, the words are recorded, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. And do not be afraid. Tonight I want to talk to you about peace in the midst of chaos. Peace in us. I'll be back on Thursday night when I want to talk to you about peace between us. Peace between peoples. Peace between warring factions. Peace between communities. And then as we close on Friday night, I want to talk to you about peace through us. What does it mean for us to become peacemakers? How do we take this message? How do we take this peace and share it in our lives, in our families, in our communities, and on our island? Is peace simply the absence of conflict? Or is it the presence of something else? The words of Isaiah chapter 9, that we will return to later in the week, echo down through the centuries for almost 3,000 years now. For a child has been born to us, a son given to us, authority rests upon his shoulders, and his name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Is that a pipe dream? Is that possible? What does it look like? What does it feel like in our public squares, in our politics, in our education, in our families, in our marriages, in our bringing up of children? When Jeremiah, in the era of the beginning, the end of the 7th century and the beginning of the 6th, saw Jerusalem being devastated by the Babylonian captivity that was encroaching God's people, twice 
we are told in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14, and in chapter 8, verse 11, that God tells Jeremiah to cry out, they have treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Peace is not simply what a politician tells us it looks like. As a follower of Jesus Christ, peace is rooted for me in Christ himself, rooted in his message, rooted in his hope, rooted in his death and in his resurrection. Can this beautiful island called Ireland ever be known for peace? Can the body of Christ on this island be a symbol of hope and peace to the world? This, the land of saints and scholars, is also the land of sinners and scars. Could the people of God become a living parable that says to the rest of the world, peace is possible in the most conflicted and confrontational of situations? Can the peace of God, which goes beyond understanding and knowledge and intellectual explanation, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, really be evidenced in the church of Jesus Christ on these shores amongst our people? I think it can, but only God can do it. Operation Demetrius began 50 years ago today. It was proposed by the Unionist government of Northern Ireland and approved by the British government. Armed soldiers, 50 years ago this morning, launched dawn raids throughout Northern Ireland and arrested 342 people in the initial sweep of the internment policy, sparking four days of violence in which 20 civilians and two IRA members and two British soldiers were killed. The death of 11 people in what became known as the Bally Murphy Massacre took place 50 years ago today. The introduction of internment led to mass protests and a sharp increase in violence. Amid the violence, about 7,000 people fled or were forced out of their homes. The policy lasted until December 1975, and during that time, 1,981 people were interred. 1,874 were nationalists and 107 were loyalists. Is peace possible in a land that is scarred by stories like this? 45 years ago today, Anne Maguire's three children were alive, happy, and healthy. But 45 years ago tomorrow, those three children were killed when a car careened into them. The driver was an IRA fugitive on the run who had been shot by a British soldier. Betty Williams, a Protestant, was one of the first on the scene. Here's what she said. Those children, their deaths burst a dam inside me. It wasn't that God whispered in my ear or anything daft like that, but he told me, to get off my butt and do something about the senseless and useless loss of life. The violence must be stopped. If I thought my own son would take up the gun to kill, she said, I would give him a cyanide pill. I would destroy what I gave birth to if he tried to take the life of another. Maria McGuire, 
was the aunt of the three children that died. And she and Betty Williams and Kieran McKeown became the founders of what became known as the Peace People. They won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1976. Marie had said this, when the two groups of women protesters met at the junction of Northumberland Road and the Shankill Road, there was a tremendous gush as people came together and the march formed up. There was a great surge of people which shocked those watching. It was historic. History was being made. It was as if people were saying, we do not want to be divided. It was not a march against loyalists or republicans. It was not against any particular group. It was a cry from the heart. It was a rally for peace. It was a cry for peace. Peace for people. Peace for their families. It was a beautiful day. And yet now here we are in 2021. And still, peace seems elusive to so many. We live with an unsettled peace that we want to protect and we want to hold on to in our politics and in our public squares and in our communities and in our society here in Northern Ireland and across the United Kingdom and across Europe. Issues like Brexit and economics and the coronavirus and so many other things still seem that they can threaten and steal and take our peace away from us. Is peace possible in this chaos? But I know that some of you are saying, Malcolm, those are all geopolitical issues. What about peace in my family? What about peace with my wife? What about peace with my husband? What about peace with my children? What about peace with myself? There's such a deep, challenging issue around peace that I want to commend New Horizon for tackling the subject here in Northern Ireland in this centenary year. Patrick Radden Keefe, in his book, Say Nothing, a true story of murder and memory in Northern Ireland, has said this, much of the Irish landscape is dominated by peat bogs, the anaerobic and acidic conditions in the densely packed earth mean that the past in Ireland can be subject to macabre resurrection. Peat cutters occasionally churn up ancient mandibles, clavicles, or entire cadavers that have been preserved for millennia. The bodies date as far back as the Bronze Age and often show signs of sacrifice and death. These victims, cast out of their communities and buried, have surfaced vividly intact from their hair to their leathery skin. The poet Seamus Heaney, himself a Nobel laureate, once harvested peat as a boy and on his family's farm, and he once described the peat bogs of Ireland as a landscape that remembered everything that had happened in it and to it. If we are to be Christians that are peacemakers, we must recognize the landscape that we are in and work out how we deal what has happened with what has happened in this land and what has happened to this land. In his 1975 poem, Whatever You Say, Say Nothing, Seamus Heaney wrote this, and every person in Northern Ireland will identify with these words. Religion's never mentioned here, of course. You know them by their eyes and hold your tongue. One side's as bad as the other, never worse. Christ, it's near time that some small leak was sprung in the great dikes the Dutchman made to dam the dangerous tide that followed Seamus. Yet for all this art and sedentary trade, I am incapable. The famous northern reticence 
the tight gag of place and times. Yes, yes, of the wee six I sing. Where to, where to be saved, you only have to save face. And whatever you say, you say nothing. Smoke signals are loud-mouthed compared with us. Maneuverings to find out name and school. Subtle discrimination by addresses. With hardly an exception to the rule, that Norman Ken and Sydney signal prod. And Seamus, call me Sean, was surefire pape. A land of password, hand grip, wink and nod. Of open minds, as open as a trap. Where tongues lie coiled as under flames lie wicks. Where half of us, as in a wooden horse, were cabined and confined like wily Greeks besieged within the siege, whispering morse. This land where so much peace seems to be elusive, where our story seems to be so bloodied and so troubled, and yet a land where there is hope, like Jones Church, like a thousand other churches across Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, where men and, men and women are working hard day in and day night to bring peace, to carry peace, to share peace. What does a farewell discourse spoken in Jerusalem almost 2,000 years ago have to say to this land, to this man, to my family, to your family, and to the world in which we live? Only twice in the farewell discourse does Jesus mention the word peace. In John 14, 27, that you've already heard read to you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. And then toward the end of the discourse in John 16, verse 33, where Jesus says, I have said this to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will face persecution, but take courage, I have conquered the world. In the first, Jesus offers peace as a promise in the midst of growing uncertainty. His disciples around him, tensions rising in Jerusalem, politics fighting over what to do with this man, Roman soldiers on the way to arrest them, and Jesus wants to prepare them, and he says, my peace I give to you. In his famous commentaries, Matthew Henry says it was his great gift to his disciples. God tonight, through Jesus Christ, offers a promise of peace in the midst of growing uncertainty. You see, across Northern Ireland, across Ireland, across GB, and across Europe tonight, across the world, uncertainty can drive us to panic or it can drive us to trust. But peace and panic cannot coexist. But in Jesus Christ, when He is with us, we can know peace and we can be delivered from panic. And that second mention in John chapter 16, verse 33, is a promise from Jesus in the face of much opposition. He's told them what's going to happen. He's reminded them of the challenges that they will face. And he said that in the world you will have trouble, but in me you will have peace. It isn't a surprise that peace doesn't exist in other places. Persecution can make us run away from God or it can make us run into the arms of God. But we can never find peace running away. We'll always be followed by our fears. We'll always be hounded by our anxieties. We'll always be chased by uncertainty. Christ calls us not to panic, but to remember that he is there. Christ calls us to be forewarned, 
because our culture and our world will be a troubled one, and we will face consequences for it. But when He is with us, we have peace. In fact, in John's gospel, peace is only mentioned in one other chapter. In John chapter 20, in the resurrection narrative of Jesus as He meets His disciples after He has been raised from the dead. The first mention there is John chapter 20, verse 19, and we read this, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, peace be with you. If in the farewell discourse we are given the promise of peace in the face of chaos and panic, and peace in the face of persecution and opposition, then in the resurrection narrative of Jesus engages with His disciples and with His friends, they are promised peace in the face of fear. They are huddled together in a room locked away from the world, afraid. John makes it very clear. Fear makes our world smaller. Only faith can make our world bigger. And the presence of Jesus Christ drives away fear and brings with it peace. Politicians cannot fix Northern Ireland. Educators cannot fix Northern Ireland. Grants will not fix Northern Ireland. Great ideas and ingenious plans cannot fix this island. It is an island that is a shared island. We have a shared future. There's only one person that can bring such a peace that it will pervade everything that we are and everything that we do. And his name is Jesus Christ. Because peace is not an idea. Peace is a person who comes, lives with us as Christians, comes, lives, and lives in us. And the peace that we need in our communities, the peace that we need in our society, the peace that we need in our culture, the peace that we need for our children and their children's children is the peace that we need in our own souls. We can't be a community at peace unless we are people at peace. Something has to change within us in order for something to change around us. And that last mention of peace within the context of John's gospel comes in John chapter 20, verse 21, and John chapter 20, verse 26. In the context of his call to his disciples as the resurrected king who has conquered death and sin and fear for them, Jesus says to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. We are sent as peace bearers. We are sent as people occupied, held, sustained, and loved by peace, embraced by peace. And in our mission to the world around us, to our families, to our communities, to our society, to our island, we go with the call of God upon us. Go into the call that I have given you, but go knowing that my peace I have given you also. Battling in our own strength will lead to exhaustion and isolation and failure, but going in God's strength to do what God has called us to do will bring with it a sense of the peace of God. And the last mention in John's gospel, verse 26. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them, although the doors were shut. Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, peace be with you. And here he comes to meet Thomas. The one who was absent, 
who in my view gets a bad press, by the way, a man who is honest about his uncertainties and honest about his questions, who became the first human being ever to describe Jesus as God, is met by him here with the promise of peace. This hope that is given to him, is it a hope that is offered to me, is a hope that is offered to you? And once we have received it, we can share it with those around us. As I draw my thoughts to a close tonight, I want to do so through three lenses. The first is a personal lens. You see, peace doesn't start somewhere else. Peace starts in me. Peace must start in you. It can't start somewhere else. And that peace is given to us through Christ, his death, his resurrection, and his victory. If I am to become a person of peace, if I am to become part of a church which is a force for peace, a movement for peace, a clarion call for peace, then I must know this peace first. It must begin in me. Because in every human heart, there is a restlessness, a yearning for peace. In the words of Augustine in his confessions, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless or peaceless until they rest in you. In his book, Seeds of Contemplation, the Trappist monk Thomas Merton writes, instead of hating the people you think are war makers, hate the appetites and the disorders in your own soul, which are the causes of war. If you love peace, then hate injustice, hate tyranny, hate greed, but hate those things first in yourself, not in another. The call to be people of peace begins in our disordered lives through the presence of Jesus Christ. The American poet Wendell Berry, in a poem called The Peace of Wild Things, talks about how he discovers that peace. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world, and I am free." I must learn to rest in the peace that is already given to me in Christ. This morning in our Bible studies, Chris Wright was wonderful. And one of the things that he said that struck me was, obedience is not something that we do in order to gain God's pleasure or in order to enter into the presence of God. Obedience is something that we do in response to what God has done. Peace is not something I strive for. Peace is something I live from. It roots me in the storm. It holds me in the gale. It keeps my gaze when voices are calling for me to be something else or do something else. When my life is cascading down, peace holds me strong because Christ is our peace. Do you know that? Tonight in your families, in your churches, in your communities, this peace is offered to you that goes beyond panic, that goes beyond fear, that goes beyond running away, that goes beyond disillusionment, that goes beyond opposition. Our society needs people 
who are a non-anxious presence. But to be that non-anxious presence, we must rest in the presence of the one who is the Prince of Peace. Martin Luther King once said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Can I amend what he said slightly? Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only the light of Christ can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only the love of God can do that. And tonight, wherever you are, whatever you face, however broken you may feel that your life is, and however complex the situation surrounding you, peace begins with the acceptance of an outstretched hand, with the acceptance of a strong outstretched hand, with the acceptance of a steady outstretched hand. Peace begins with the acceptance of a nail-pierced outstretched hand, the hand of Jesus. Amen. Tonight, Lord, for women and men whose lives are gripped by chaos, may the outstretched hand of Christ bring peace to their souls. For the marriages that are in turmoil, for the broken relationships between generations, may the outstretched hand of Christ bring peace. For communities fractured, for a society broken, for a culture that needs to find a way of being different, may your people, may we be people of peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this talk. If you would like to know more about New Horizon, please visit our website at newhorizon.org.uk.